Hey friends, how we doing today? It's episode 19 and we're getting into it. Today is a, a really cool episode. Um, really interesting guests. Uh, really unlike um, most of our guests. Very uh, unique. Um, a lot heavier of a subject yeah. matter than we usually deal with. Yeah, definitely a heavier story. So um, get ready. Um, I hope you guys enjoy this one. Uh, me and Mike are going to start this one off. Um, do you want to go first? Uh, yeah, I think I'll go first. Go ahead. You like Reese's Puffs? I do like Reese's I love Reese's Puffs. Yeah. Well, Travis Scott is coming out with his own box of Reese's Puffs. I'm getting it. His own line. Guess how much it costs. Oh, no. All right, maybe I'm not getting it. Uh, for like a box? Yeah, one box. Um, double digits? Yeah. Okay. 20 bucks. 50. What? For a box of yeah. fucking Reese's Puffs? It says a pop-up to celebrate the release of the cereal will go down Tuesday during the Paris Fashion Week and will be open to the public. The fans who aren't uh, yeah. able to get to Paris will be able to to cop them starting yeah. this Friday on Travis's website for $50 a piece. What? Yeah. Jesus. Still same old, uh, same Reese's in the box, but it's Come like, on. it's a collector's item. They got photos. They put up a photo on its Instagram. Can I see? You, Travis Scott. Yeah. Let me see. And they're in like a, they're in like a display case. So I guess uh, it's for that. That is pretty cool. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, that's a cool Range Rover too. Yeah. It's a really nice. <laughs> <Range Rover laughs> <out> there. <laughs> million followers. Oh man. But yeah. Um, I think I was I, really excited. I'll just go buy some regular Reese's. Right. Bus, I guess. I'll just draw, draw him on there or something. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> I mean, ever since Astro World, man, he's been blowing up. Dude. He's got his own cereal box. And I was reading an article. I actually saw an article about it on Barstool when I was Googling it. Yeah. He has the shoe, the Jordan 1s, yeah. which I didn't know he came out with. Look at those things. If you guys get a chance, look up those Travis Scott's cool. shoes. Yeah. Those are cool. He's just been killing it. Damn, Travis. Yeah. That's if, you, a, if you're listening, Travis, you're doing well. The fact that a person can sell a box of cereal for $50 means he's doing something right in life. Can you imagine how much Reese's Puffs is paying him for that deal? Or who makes Reese's Puffs? General Mills? General, probably General, General, Mills. General Mills. They make fucking everything. Do you know, uh, can you imagine how much they're paying him for that deal? Like, unbelievable. And he's probably still profiting off the sales off on his website boxes. and everything. Yeah. Yeah. On, yeah. Freaking A. All right. A little bit more consumer-friendly news. General consumer-friendly news. You guys like Amazon? You like Amazon? Mike? you like Amazon. I love Amazon. Where else am I going to get my dishwashing detergent? <laughs> <laughs> and everything. Uh, so you're familiar with Prime Day? Yeah, I don't use it, though. You don't? No. Well, I still take the two-day shipping. Well, Amazon's Prime Day is going to be two days this year, a whole 48 hours. Wait, wait, wait. Hang on. Run that by me again. Amazon's Prime Day Yeah. is going to be two days this year. What do you mean? Like it's gonna last two days long. That's it. Out of three hundred and sixty-five days. Yeah, you know how they do. You, you never heard of Prime Day? Well, I know you pick a day a week, but like. No, no, no. So they have like Amazon Prime Day. Oh, this is a lesson, people. Amazon Prime Day is like one day where they discount the shit out of like all the Amazon products, uh, and then like tons of other stuff is like wicked cheap, and it's usually just one day. Last year, I guess they extended it to thirty-six hours, but they're pushing the bar. 48 hours this year. Yeah. I, Get ready, folks. I thought you were talking about the delivery. You know, no. you had to pick the certain day when shit got delivered. Oh, no, 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 But no. yeah, I know I know Prime Day. Yeah. So July 15th, it's going to last for 48 hours. It's going to start at 3 a.m. Eastern. So wake up early, folks, for you on the East. And if anybody here is on the West Coast, wake up at midnight or just go to bed late. Anyway. Wait, what if the time zone doesn't matter? It does. You sure? Midnight, it's a, a midnight on the West Coast. Fuck, screw <laughs> you. Um, anyway, for anybody out there who's going to take advantage of it, let us know what you get. Are we going to run up the uh, the company credit card? For yeah, hard? I mean, maybe let's buy a few Echoes. We can make our calls on it instead of using the speaker iPhone. We do need a conference um, phone. We could use some more hard drives. I wish Apple would do. That's true. I wonder. They. I don't know if they'll discount hard drives. Yeah. But they. Uh, I wish Apple would have like Apple Day where they drop the prices on everything. They. Yeah, they don't need bullshit. It. Yeah. Do it, Apple. Come on. Yeah, come on, Steve Jobs. We know you're. I want alive. like a cheaper HomePod or like a half-price MacBook or an iMac Pro. That's a thing. Would you? We were at the Apple Store the other day, and I saw the HomePod. What do you think between the two? I I'm only going based off what I've heard, but I've heard the HomePod's kind of shit, and the Echo is far superior. I have an Echo, 
don't have any issues with it. So I don't know. Yeah. Except I ask her all the time, like, what can I do to work out better? I say, Alexa, what can I do to get better workouts? And every time she goes, hmm, I don't know that one. So in that department, she's useless. She's a fucking robot. She doesn't work out. That's true. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) let's get into this interview. Forget Amazon. All right. Prime day. Get ready, bitches. Uh, If anybody wants to buy us stuff, feel free to send to the office. Yeah. I take that back. Okay. You're all fine people. All right. Anyway, interview time. Let's get into it. I hope you guys enjoy this one. We have Ashley Bendixson here in the studio with us. Ashley is a public speaker and activist from Rhode Island, and uh, really excited to have you in the studio today, Ashley. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Um, Before we get into this, do you have anything you'd like to uh, say before we start? No, I don't think so. All right. Fire away. So uh, that I will, because our first segment here is called 20 Questions. So uh, it's not actually 20, but it's rapid fire. So fast answers. All All right. right. Favorite color? Purple. iPhone or Android? iPhone. Left or right? Right. Pick a number one to ten. Nine. Favorite number? Nine. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Favorite liquor? <laughs> um, red wine. All right. <laughs> Fancy. Ice coffee Refined. or hot coffee? Both. Okay. Steak or chicken? Neither. <laughs> Oreo or chips ahoy? Oreo. Favorite vegetable? Broccoli. Okay. Mac <laughs> or PC? <laughs> PC. Do you prefer to work from home or in an office? They are both one and the same for me. All right. There it is. <laughs> uh, your biggest inspiration or role model? Mm. I've had a lot of them. I don't know. I'll have to say my mom. She continues to inspire me every day. My All late right. mom. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, last time you ran a mile or close? Last month. All right. Ding, 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 ding. That's it. All right. <laughs> Uh, so that's, that's our first segment there and, uh, ready to get into some questions here. All right. Okay. (laughs) Um, so Ashley, tell us uh, a little bit about where you grew up and, uh, like what your summer, what, what some of your interests were as a kid, like sports or, you know, acting or whatever. Yeah. So I grew up in the small town of Fairhaven, Massachusetts, which is right next to New Bedford. If anybody Mm -hmm. doesn't know Fairhaven and as a kid, um, I was in dancing school. That was kind of like my main uh, hobby. I had two younger sisters and all three of us danced and I danced from age four to 17. So it took up most of my young life. (laughs) What was, uh, you know, if you had to say, what was your dream job as a kid? Oh my gosh. I, I wanted to be everything as a kid. Um, just depending on my mood or, you know, (laughs) the year. So interestingly, I used to watch a lot of um, TV with my mom and she really liked watching the Olympic skating and the gymnastics and I would watch these with her and I used to I went through this phase where I wanted to be an Olympic gymnast and then I wanted to be a figure skater and then when Jurassic Park came out I totally wanted to be a paleontologist so (laughs) yeah I wanted to be a lot of different things that's Mm -hmm. so funny and um, what uh, what were friends like growing up did you have like a lot of friends in in school or um, did they have similar interests? Yeah, I was pretty close to um, some of my cousins growing up. Yeah. I have a lot of female cousins, and we were all very close. You know, my mom had a, you know two sisters with kids, and we yeah. were all kind of the same age. So I was pretty close with family. Being that I was from a small town, um, I had like one or two really close friends that I'm still friends with yeah. today, which is a really cool gift. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. So, so was you, were your cousins and stuff? All your family lived really close, or? They did, oh, yeah, all within, you know, 10 miles or so. So mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about what you do now and how you kind of got into this. Yeah, so it's it's always an interesting question to answer. Um, maybe the easiest picture is to say, I'm a motivational speaker. Yeah, um, sure. But I don't see myself as that. Yeah. I mean, I am a full-time speaker, so yeah. my, my day-to-day work is um, traveling, and I primarily speak at high schools and colleges, so... I'm like the school assembly girl, Um, but I also speak at conferences and I do professional trainings and I've just kind of built up a whole company of just different programs and offerings. That's awesome. And um, so you're full-time self-employed. Yes. That's awesome. And how long have you been been like that? A little over three years now. Was it? um, and, And so what did you do before that actually? Yeah, my last job was working for the Bristol County District Attorney's Office. Okay. 
Um, loved my work. I had a great position. I actually had been promoted several times while at the DA's office. Um, but you know, I've always had this inner calling to be self-employed, to be my own boss. And I think also just to be part of bigger picture work, you know, working for the DA, we were very reactive to a lot of the issues that I speak on. And I kind of wanted to be part of the, the prevention piece. That's interesting. And so what, what do you feel like was maybe the last, like, straw that broke the camel's back that you were like, all right, I'm ready to jump. You know, I, I didn't really have any complaints about being there. I think that once you get the idea of possibly leaving your job and taking this crazy leap, it just sits with you. Like every night you go to bed and you're thinking about it and it just starts to consume your every thought. And just one day I was like, I'm just going to do it. You know, like the timing's never right. You just, you do it and you figure it out. Did you, uh, were you married at the time or, or just you? No, yep. Just me. Um, yeah. Which made it easier. You yeah, know, I don't have true. kids or kids like a mortgage. To, I mean, yeah. yeah, it was a little bit easier to leave the day job. That's mm-hmm. cool. And at the time were, were your parents and family like supportive of that decision or were they a little tough with it? You know, I've been pretty uh, independent of my family for a long time. Like, yeah. I kind of just operate unto myself. Yeah. So, you know, I think when I told my my dad, like, oh, hey, I quit my job today. He's like, okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just what now? What is Ashley yeah. doing now? So, yeah, they've, they've always been supportive of everything I do. That's I think cool. they they have trust in the fact that I, you know, set my mind to something and I, yeah. I work to figure it out. And did they have any kind of like entrepreneurial background, um, like in their past? Yes. And I, I guess I never realized it growing up. My dad is an attorney and okay. he has his own firm. So he's oh, always been his own boss. Yeah, but I, yeah. I didn't think of that as entrepreneurship. You know, it was yeah. just it was his business. So, yeah, so I guess funny. maybe I get it from him. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, when when you first made the switch, what do you think was like, uh, you know, you just become self-employed? What was like the toughest thing to adjust to? Coming from, uh, you know, kind of like a standard nine to five. Yeah. You know, I think it's a whole mindset shift because mm-hmm. you can't rely on the biweekly paycheck anymore. Of course. And, you know, I had saved up a little bit of money, but now you have this constant looming feeling of you have to find, you know, you have to do sales, you have to get clients, you have to find money to pay next month's bills. Yeah. So at first, um, I mean, I didn't just jump right into the business I'm doing now. I started just freelancing a lot of the things that I was good at. Sure. Um, social media marketing, resume writing, um, freelance journalism. And I was just doing little odd jobs, um, you know, based on the skills that I already possessed and paying my bills that way as I figured out how to build my company in the background. Yeah. Did you have any public speaking background before you know, you took that leap? Like, were you out speaking already? Yes. I had actually been speaking for probably nine years, um, but very part-time, you know, maybe half a dozen to a dozen times a year paid. Um, So yeah, it was always something I had done in the background. And even like some of the freelance work, I'd always done resume writing part-time because people would reach out and ask and I'd say, all right, you know, this much money. So I always kind of had little side hustles, I guess you could say. So yeah, the speaking, um, the speaking I had been doing for a while and but it was a an interesting leap to figure out how to make speaking into a full-time business because it's so atypical yeah Yeah. so how like I mean tell us a little bit about that at first Mm -hmm. like the switch to that how how was that well you know as I was taking on clients to pay my bills um very quickly I was running out of time to actually focus on my speaking business so (laughs) I actually at one point had to like fire all of those freelance clients because I was like, okay, great. I'm, I'm paying my bills. I'm making money, but now I'm not, I don't have any time to figure out this speaking thing. It was almost like I had 10 mini bosses now. (laughs) Um, so yeah. So, so, you know, one day I just got rid of all those freelance clients because I knew I just, I had to figure the speaking business out and you know, it's a, it's an interesting market. And honestly, to make it work, it's sales all day. You know, it's reaching out to decision makers, high school principals, conference organizers. So I had to really learn how to brand myself and uh, make sure my marketing materials were up to par and figure out how to reach the people that I need to reach. It's not easy to kind of juggle all the aspects of of a business when you you know, used to do just like one thing, you know, (laughs) Um, I probably could have used your help with some resume writing back in the day. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, So tell us like what led you to public speaking? Like what got you started with that? 
Yeah, it's definitely not something I ever set out to do. Back when I was 20, I had just come out of an abusive relationship and I was volunteering at a women's shelter Mm -hmm. and they had this annual event every year and they asked me if I'd be willing to share my story at it as a survivor and I had never even considered sharing my story, especially not publicly. But, you know, I worked up the strength to write my story and I read it and uh, the response was amazing. And from there, I got some requests to speak at the local Boys and Girls Club or speak at local youth organizations. And I just kind of started telling my story. And then um, shortly after that, I... Um, I ended up winning a pageant. I became Miss New Bedford. So that gave me another platform to tell my story throughout the community. And um, I just, I've kind of been speaking ever since. So yeah, ever since I was 20. Oh my God. Yeah. And and even then I didn't know that speaking was an actual career. Like I didn't even know people charged, you know, to speak that there were things like speaker fees. Yeah. And I think it was probably about five years in when a college said, you know, okay, so how much? And I was like, what? You know, it was like <laughs> mind boggling. Like, you're going to pay me to do this? What did you say? If you don't mind me asking. Um, I, you I don't, don't, have to I don't know if, <laughs> I don't know if I offered it or if they suggested it, but I did, I did get paid $500. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So, so, and I was thrilled with that. Yeah. I mean, it was almost like strange. It's almost like, you know, people will say like, you know, yoga instructors, like, how do you accept money if you're a true yogi? Like that kind of a thing. Huh. It's like, how do I profit off of sharing my story? It's like, right. you know, virtuous work, but it's also, I mean, it's time, it's travel. Yeah. It's you got bills too. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, that and sharing the story and, you know, working on it and going through the events that led to that story. Right. It's all, uh, worth something and just so the listeners know can you kind of explain that story yeah. a little bit yeah so um you know for me at from the age of 14 up to 20 i was a repeat victim of dating violence uh, and sexual assault and it really um, turned my life upside down i struggled with depression and eating disorders and i even became homeless for a while and my college boyfriend forced me to drop out of college so um, my whole life really fell apart. Um, so I, that's kind of the story that I, I share. And I really, I try to talk about what the day-to-day was like dating somebody that could possibly do this to you. I mean, I yeah, think I we've mean, all been in a rough relationship, but, you know, talking about, you know, the uh, emotionally harmful behaviors, the manipulation, the control, and how all of a sudden the person you're dating can just take over your life. So I share that story. And then for me, thankfully, you know, I mentioned that I was volunteering at a shelter Um, That kind of became a a launching pad for me just to get involved in the community and to do advocacy work. And um, so my after story is really cool, too. I, you know, embarked on this journey of personal leadership, but also like social justice work where I was involved with policy change. And I went back to school, studied the criminal justice system proudly seven years later, graduated as valedictorian after I'd once dropped out. So, you know, I my challenges became a catalyst for me. So I kind of pair up, you know, education on healthy relationships with, you know, the power to overcome challenges in life and create the, the life you want or create yeah. the career you want, what the job you want. What inspired you to be like, all right, I'm going to share these experiences because they're so personal. Yeah. Um, I think it was just after speaking that first time, realizing that other people in the audience suddenly now felt less ashamed and they were coming up and sharing their stories with me. Yeah. Um, that it was like, okay, there's a bigger purpose to this. And I had read somewhere once that the more you tell your story, the less power it has over you. And I have, I think, I have found healing through telling my story. Really? Like therapeutic kind of? Yeah. I mean, some, some people who have gone through traumatic experiences, they just want to shut it off and not ever have to revisit it. For me, it's been very liberating. Um, yeah. And I get to help countless other people yeah. now through my work. So it's worth it. Mm-hmm. We have uh, a close friend and, and uh, a client of ours. Um, he was uh, a staff sergeant in the Green Beret Special Forces mm-hmm. in the military. He got shot in Afghanistan back in 2011 in the abdomen, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Oh Stomach. Uh, and went through like hundreds of hours of surgery and... He's got scars that go all the way down his leg and wow. he thought he was going to die and, um, you know, for a while. And then, you know, he suffered depression and drinking and he got addicted to his pills and, you know, he was like, oh, you know, I, I'm never going to talk about this or I'm, you know, this is only going to help people who are in the war. But 
he started speaking and sharing his story and he found that like he could relate to like so many people and so now for the past couple of years he's been speaking like all over the country and like it's just insane That's like amazing. on a whole different like situation but a similar thing like your story can inspire and just like help so many people right well i think no matter what you've gone through people feel a strong sense of shame or embarrassment yeah but then when you kind of remove yourself from it and you're like no i only made that choice because this happened to me and that wasn't my fault it's right. like you know what let's talk about these things um because silence is what keeps people suffering yeah that mm-hmm. and not to mention that you're not the only person that's gone through this exactly you know mm-hmm. there's and so like, many people and like you're saying by you talking about it someone else who may think they're by themselves yeah be like oh man i'm not the only one Right. Well, fun fact. So when I was still in college, um, before I had dropped out, we had a speaker come into one of my college classrooms and they just did a PowerPoint, like bullet points on what domestic violence was. But as I was sitting in my classroom, my life was on the PowerPoint slides in front of me. And it was like, that's what this is. Because, you know, when I was in it, I was like, oh, you know, it's just different. People can't understand. He's had a rough past. We're working on it. But then all of a sudden it was like textbook domestic violence. So, yeah, I mean, I think someone else telling your telling a story that's so similar to your own is like, oh, my God, I'm not alone. Is that when your the switch kind of got flipped? You were like, yes. oh, oh, shit. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I definitely didn't leave right away. It was a process. But sure. my whole mindset changed you know i i knew what it was now i could pick up on the manipulation better because now i knew it for what it was right right right. yeah and so like going through that how how did you i mean like i can't imagine how like hard that is like how did you get through it and how did you kind of like i don't know stay positive enough to get out yeah one day at a time um yeah so i I made the courageous decision to break up with my abusive boyfriend and thought that I was in the clear. And two weeks later, he showed back up at my apartment and severely attacked me. Um, So, you know, that's something I I teach a lot. You know, people think it's like, this is why it's not so easy just to leave someone who's abusive. Like it's dangerous. So um, I was actually able to you know, keep myself safe through the help of the court system. You know, I had to get a restraining order. You know, Mm -hmm. he was arrested and charged. Um, So that was kind of how I started that whole process. But because I had to keep myself safe from him, I had to find an apartment on my own. You know, I I was still a college dropout, so I didn't know what I was going to do with my life or my future or my career. And I just started like waitressing, saving up money. I took a real estate course and tried being a realtor for a while and was volunteering because I knew I had to build my resume somehow. Um, so yeah, just one day at a time, just doing something positive. I mean, I wasn't always positive. I I definitely had rough days. I was detached for a while, but I knew I had to keep moving forward. And I think, so interestingly, I remember when this was all over thinking that if I continued to struggle, he would continue to win. You know, if I if mm. I went down this path of like, you know, resorting to drugs or alcohol or being depressed, th- then he would get, you know, the, the upper hand in this. And same thing with my experiences in high school. It's like if I continue to struggle, the bullies continue to win. I was win. just going to compare it to bullying. Like as yes. a kid, that's all they want is you to be like, well, leave me alone and like feel it. Whereas you just brush right. it off. I remember saying to someone, if he ever sees my face or hears my name it better be because i'm like doing big things and right. that that drove me every day i'm like and and there's a a great quote i think frank sinatra said it originally it's the greatest revenge is massive success yep. yeah. and that just like hit me i was like that's yes cool. like you know that that's quote. that's my mantra that's what i'm doing wow and how aware were your friends and family of of this happening and then like dropping out Well, um, he had really isolated me from my family and friends, so I didn't really have anyone close to me. My own family didn't understand how to help, and they actually kicked me out of their lives when all that was going on. So I think they were aware, um, probably not super shocked, but I also did a good job of hiding it too. Yeah. You know, it's the daily task of just trying to manage it and conceal it from view. Because like as you said at the time, you you thought, oh, maybe it's not that bad. It's just they don't understand. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a phase. Right. Yeah, it's going to get better. Yeah. yeah. After you dropped out, what, what happened? Um, well, so I dropped out because he totaled my car. 
he didn't like me being in college. Um, it was done intentionally. So I wasn't able to go back to school. He knew that my family was no longer supporting me and I just kind of never went back. Yeah. And, you know, fall and winter was approaching and our only option was to find a place to, to live. You know, we were homeless at the time. We were sleeping in my car. There was an abandoned camper we used to sleep in. And now that I wasn't going back to school, I waitressed a bunch of shifts and got us an apartment. And as crazy as it sounds, I thought that us living together was going to make things better. I just thought, oh, now now he won't be angry because we're homeless. You know, it's like I just thought, you know, I was getting rid of all the reasons to upset him. But behind closed doors, he was, you know, even more um, off the rails. His mood swings were all over the place. So it was a, a short few months. And that's what led up to him eventually attacking me and. And that's kind of how it ended. So it was shortly after I dropped out. Yeah. Now, do you find yourself, and when you were in that moment, like kind of blaming yourself for his problems that he has? Um, you know, I think it was a mix. A lot of times, I think the reason I was an easy victim, quote unquote victim, is because I was really empathetic. Like he did have a rough past, like his dad died when he was young. And I was always trying to be like rational and intelligent and be like, well, this is why he has anger problems. This is why he has abandonment issues or trust issues. So I think I just tried to be like really smart about it. I, I don't think I really thought that I was the cause of his abuse. I think I was smart enough to know it wasn't my fault. Um, but I definitely thought that I could fix him. And I thought, you know, I had a sense of responsibility to, you know, waiting it out. Then flash forward a few years later, you started college again. Tell us about like how you got to that decision and worked up the cards to, you know, reapply to school and do that. Yeah, it took me over four years before I felt ready again. And I had saved up some money and then the pageants, I had one scholarship money. So it, it all kind of brought, you know, the timing to the right point. Um, but I knew that I wanted to go back to school and study the justice system because my experience when he was arrested and I had to go to court was a really bad one. And I remember thinking that the justice system failed victims. And yeah. that's like what I wanted to do for a career. I wanted Because to, you were one and you felt it right. personally. And, you know, now I know that my experience wasn't representative of all victims' experiences. But, you know, I did feel like I wanted to... I mean, I always thought I would go on to become an attorney and actually um, be like a legal advocate for victims. Sure. Um but I ended up, you know, graduating and my first job was as a victim advocate working with crime victims in court. So it kind of was the job that I had always pictured myself doing. Yeah, yeah. Could you find that you could relate to the people you were working with? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And a lot of people in those roles, um, they either can handle it or they can't. Like if they have a personal story, it can be triggering and it's hard mm -hmm. work for them. Yeah. For me, I've I have a really strong stomach for it. You know, I can I can listen to horror stories and you know be really strong and not get emotional and so i really enjoyed being able to be that you know that person of strength for so many victims yeah and those victims probably felt comfort knowing you know that you kind of we we're on like kind of the same page i guess would be the way to say it like you understood them a little different than someone who hasn't been through what yeah. you've been through right i mean a lot of victims don't open up because they don't want to feel like they're being blamed you know, or people don't get it, you know, so if they know, all right, this person's been there too, you feel more comfortable opening up and yeah, it breaks down those walls. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you go to school and then you graduated as a valedictorian, right? Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Um, so uh, was it right after school that you, was this grad school or this was still undergrad? That was undergrad. Undergrad, okay. Yep. Um, did you start working like right out of college? I did. Yeah. So, um, I had a job already lined up before I graduated because of the community work that I had been doing. I already had a resume in like social justice and victim services and women's empowerment sure. because of all the volunteer work that I did. So the DA already knew who I was before I'd even graduated. So when I called Jeez. him up and was like, hey, you know, I just found out I'm going to be valedictorian. He's like, all right, you're hired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So and honestly, just back to that point. So like being valedictorian was a, a crazy moment. And it was just like, you know, what I said before about like wanting to finally win. And I had said, I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to do it right. And I'm going to get a 4.0 and I'm going to be valedictorian. And of course, my dad at the time was like, oh, OK, Ashley. But, <laughs> you know, I was so driven by that vision of yeah. what I wanted that it kept me on track. It kept me 
focused studying when I've got when I got invitations to go out and do other things it kept me home in the books and it's a philosophy that I've applied you know to other areas of my life to my business too it's like if I want this as the end result if I want to make this much money or or speak this many times in a year these are the things I have to do I've got to open the books I've got to stay in on a Friday night sometimes yeah yeah and you know so it's like I just learned the power of having a vision and just putting in the work and how you really can you know get there if you're if it's strong enough yeah so the valedictorian that's the one that has to give a speech right yes so you had to give a speech I did in front of how many people um I think it was like uh just under a thousand maybe was that the biggest crowd well obviously set before you started speaking publicly was that um no that was that was after doing it but it might have been among one of the bigger crowds and did you share your story for your, your speech or did you take a different route no, I, I, I lightened it up a bit. Yeah. <laughs> I think I, I wrote my, um, my story out the first time around. The dean was like, mm, maybe take a different approach. <laughs> but um, no, it was cool. I, I, so I think that when I gave my speech, I tried to answer the question, what did school give me that life had not already? Because I felt like I was already like kind of riding high, even without college. Like I probably sure. didn't even need to go to college, especially like I'm back on my own now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But so I, I tried to think about like what the value of school was and I tried to speak on that. And also just the fact that like my education was taken away from me and that's, it's a privilege to be able to get an education and, um, you know, be an intelligent, educated woman. And uh, so, yeah, so I, I brought a few different perspectives in, but. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Where did you go to school? Salve, Regina. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In okay. Newport, yeah. Oh, that's okay. a big school right on the water there. Yeah, yeah. I get to give that speech right on the water. It's nice. quite, quite cool, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, that must have been quite the moment, like you're yeah. saying, how you were not going to stop until you hit the top. And yeah. at that point in your life, that was the top. You I had all A's. Yeah, it's crazy. Good yeah, for you. It is crazy. You and I look back, I'm like, what? Um, <laughs> but, like, the day that the letter came in the mail and notified me, I just fell to my knees and, like, cried. Yeah. I mean, it, it was just such a, a contrast to, like, who, where I used to be and who I was. I mean, I literally was like homeless, like walking the streets of New Bedford, like with nothing, like nowhere to go, like no sense of self-worth. And I always, I always felt like I was destined to just like fail in life. I didn't think I would ever be like the best at anything. I just thought I was supposed to be mediocre at best. And so it was just kind of wild. I mean, I think it's still my proudest moment being valedictorian. I really do. It was just amazing. So how long did you work for the DA before you um, quit? Um, just about three years. Okay. Fun fact. So, um, my work at the DA's office was pretty cool. Um, I mentioned that my first job was as a victim advocate, but because I had done all that community volunteer work, I developed a resume and a background in public relations and communications. Hmm. So I actually got promoted right away into the press department at the DA's office. So like answering like the media's phone calls. Oh, geez. And our office prosecuted um, Aaron Hernandez. No, and that's so right. Oh my God. That's when I got the promotion was like to handle like the Twitter account because TMZ was like blowing up our Twitter. Oh so, my God. Yeah. So it was really crazy. So like that was one really cool promotion. And it's you know, just interesting when you have a diverse skill set, like what opportunities are out there. Oh my God. And then I got one more promotion. I was the DA's executive assistant eventually doing his like public relations in the community. So Jeez. yeah, so it was a cool experience. Like I had a great time yeah. in my three years there. So you were really on your way to climbing that ladder. I, I was, then, I yeah. was, yeah. Then I just see you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it was funny when I resigned, I, I told my boss, I said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm resigning. I handed him like a letter I'd typed up. And he was like, oh, he's like, well, where are you going? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, but it was like such an amazing moment. You know, I got in my car yeah. and I was like, oh, my God, I just quit my job. This yeah. is like crazy, you know. Yeah, I'm self-employed. Yeah. Was it excitement or was it mixed feelings? It was super excitement. Super excited. Yeah. 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 I felt like I couldn't wait to get started like months before, you know. What was like the first thing you did to um, like, you know, your first step, like now, like the next day you're like, I'm not going into the office. I'm not <laughs> going to work. Like, what am I going to do? I don't know I so before I quit I used to at night like write out what a day in my dream life would look like right so, like, <laughs> visualize stuff and you know part of it was always like I wake up mornings are mine I can go get a cup of coffee like yeah. read a newspaper at a cafe not have to rush to you know punch in by nine yeah. and I think that's what I did I lived in a downtown area and I just got up and like grabbed a coffee and just 
kind of kicked it around for the morning. Enjoy the small things for a little bit. Yeah, and I did take up take myself on a little vacation. Cool. Um, like right away, it was like the next week after, because <laughs> I had saved up some money and I just went down to South Beach by myself to kind of like cool. write and figure things out and give myself a taste of like what it was like to just like hop on a flight anytime yeah, I want. Like you know, awesome. I don't have to request time off. I yeah, can find that cheap Tuesday flight anytime yeah, I want. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, it's just a whole new way of thinking. So this is one question I always like to ask. Um, since you've been self-employed, what do you think has been maybe one of the easiest things um, like adjusting to? And then what do you think has been maybe the most challenging? Um, I don't know if any of it's been super easy. I mean, it's been easy adjusting to Monday mornings to myself. I mean, that's been <laughs> nice. Or having three, four, seven-day weekends if I want. Um, <laughs> I think the most challenging thing has been simply finding clarity in what my business is. Mm -hmm. I went through so many different cycles of, you know, do I want to do consulting in public relations? Cause I yeah. had that skill and you know, it seemed like there was more money in it at the time versus, you know, what I'm doing now. You know, I, I just think it was um, hard finding myself and what I wanted my business to actually look like, even down to who do I want to serve? You know, it's like, do you want to provide services to startups and entrepreneurs or C-level executives, you know, yeah. finding your niche, your audience. So yeah, I think that was the biggest challenge for me. Yeah. Have you always been able to kind of speak in front of a bunch of people? Like yeah, I, I can imagine the first few speeches were tough. Yeah, like me personally, I can't speak in front of like, <laughs> if it's more than five people, I'm out. Oh <laughs> yeah. Um, I was painfully shy growing up. So the fact that I'm a speaker now, like That's doesn't funny. make any sense to yeah. me. Um, although another fun fact, um, a lot of speakers claim that they are introverts, but that on stage, they just, they come alive. Yeah, so, it's yeah. funny. I've heard that before. Yeah, too. It's yeah. almost like being an actress. I mean, you do kind of put on a show you're performing, but you know, I, I'm comfortable through practicing. Like yeah. it's, this has come in time. I've been doing this for over 12 years now and you know, sometimes I still get nervous, but for the most part, I feel very self-reliant. Um, you know, my presentations, a lot of them are very similar. So it's just a matter of, you know, mastering my craft and my story and just delivering it better every time. So you know, the more you do anything, the more confident you get in it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Maybe I should give some more speeches. Huh? Yeah. yeah, you should. <laughs> I don't you think should. So. No, I'm all set with that. I'll, I'll leave that one to you. <laughs> um, when you started, uh, you know, when you became self-employed, like, um, Tell us a little bit about how you started to like sort of market yourself because now you work for yourself and you have to kind of be your own, uh, you know, marketing person. And I guess coming from, you know, the positions where you were telling us that you started doing PR and, and mm -hmm. stuff like that, like did that give you a little bit of a help or um, tell us a little bit about the transition into like marketing yourself? Yeah, it was pretty easy for me because I had always been marketing myself. I think it really began when I had that title of Miss New Bedford and knowing hmm. that my online presence, you know, was public for a lot of people, people sure. were following me. So I kind of always used my Facebook and my LinkedIn to just promote the good works that I was doing, the organizations I supported. It's always kind of been like a living, breathing resume for me. So, you know, people were already kind of following my, my journey and the things I was doing and that first week after I left my job, I think I just made the announcement that I left my job and I was going to be figuring things out and that if I could help anyone, yeah. I would be happy to help. And people were just like reaching out like, hey, I, I could use some part time help with this. Or, you know, a few days later, hey, I'm doing resumes and cover letters for this price. If I can help, let me know. And, yeah. you know, before I knew it, I was just posting, posting and getting leads from posting on social media. That's cool. I was just, that's perfectly lead in. I was going to say, tell us a little bit about like how social media has played a part. Are you, you know, is that like your strong suit or? <laughs> um, I get, well, it's a necessary evil for sure. Yeah. I, people will say like, wow, you're great at social media. You're always posting. But then I compare myself to other people that post way more than me. So I just feel like I'm constantly chasing, um, you know, the online content game, but it's been a big part of my um, business building strategy. Mm -hmm. I get a lot of business from LinkedIn. I think it's cool. one of the most amazing platforms and I think more people should use it. That's great. Um, but yeah, so I, I mean, I connect with high school principals. I connect with my buyers and decision makers. I build relationships with them. They see what I offer. You know, they get to see pictures from a school that I was just at. Yeah. Um, and it's it's been a really good um, strategy. And 
to be honest, um, for anyone out there who maybe is also trying to market themselves, one of the best resources I've found is getting onto other podcasts. So if I can get onto a podcast that has teachers as its audience, um, there are potential leads for me to get into schools all over the country. And a few months back, I spoke on a true crime podcast with a huge following. And I ended up getting a gig in Philadelphia based on one of the listeners that just thought, hey, we should bring this girl to our school. That's crazy. Hopefully one of these listeners out there needs you. Yeah, Yeah. right. (laughs) Forget any teachers. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What, uh, What would you say is your biggest percentage of work? Is it schools or conferences or... It is. It's um. It's high schools and colleges. That's okay. where I mostly am, and it's mostly how I market myself. It's where mm-hmm. I market myself. And is that because that's when you went through all that? Was kind of through those years. Yeah, I really love it. Um, I love speaking to young people about it. My story is age relevant to them, and also um, the majority of domestic violence, sexual assault happens between the ages of seventeen to twenty-four. Yeah. Although. I speak to middle schools. I've spoken at elementary schools and a lot of these behaviors are happening as early as like fifth, sixth grade. So um, yeah, I I couldn't start early enough, but yeah, I think that's where it's at because that's where you can undo potentially lifelong patterns. You know, it's if we can reach people earlier. How do you find to like kind of simplify your story for, you know, a fifth or sixth grader that may not fully understand (laughs) what's going on? Yeah, it's just a matter of changing the delivery, um, you know, talking more about boundaries. Um, you know, a lot of times I'll frame it as, you know, like a friend who might take advantage of you or not listen when you say no or get mad at you if you don't show up to their house, you know, like that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I, talk, I try to talk about relationship skills in general, although you'd be surprised how many fifth graders, sixth graders know exactly what something like domestic violence is. I yeah. mean, depending on the community, if it's an urban community, their parents are going through this stuff. I mean, they've, they're DCF involved. So, you know, I try to keep things, um, I try to, I try to name things for what they are, but I just take out some of the more sensitive details of my story, you know, Mm. like my first date, you know, where I was sexually assaulted, I might say, you know, um, I did things that I didn't want to do that day. It was very yeah. uncomfortable. I didn't know how to say no. And then the kids can form their own, yeah, right, yeah, right. Their own opinions of what I'm talking about. So, right. Do you yeah. think now this is kind of a curveball and yeah. you know, answer however you want, but do you think people like that, like abusers, do you think, I'm, I'm curious, do you think it's parenting or do you think it's like hardwiring in the brain or, or a <laughs> mix or, or what? Yeah. So no one is born abusive. Right. Um, it's a learned behavior. So in most cases, they have been exposed to it um, either in the home or maybe a a show that they watched a lot as a kid. I mean, you kind of learn like, for example, if mom and dad are fighting and you realize that every time mom yells really loud, she gets her way. You as a kid might think, okay, to get my way, I have to yell really loud. Mm. So maybe, you know, in elementary school, that's how they are to their peers. But then as they get older they're like that with their significant others so yeah it's Uh, it's a learned behavior but that being said it can be unlearned but it's intensive counseling and therapy and you have to self-identify that you do these things and want to get the help that's a big point right there is that the like the abuser has to be like i'm messing up and yeah i feel like they're not probably not going to be like on top and ready to do that right right and there's not enough resources for that I mean, we have resource we we have not enough resources for victims, but it's like if we really want to stop the problem, we got to stop the abusers. Right. Um, stop it from the source. Like I've actually had kids at school say, you know, I think I do some of that stuff to my girlfriend or my boyfriend, wow. and you know, I just I've got trust issues, and I don't mean to act this way, but I I don't know where to point them for help. Like there's 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 nothing that exists, yeah. you know, in your average community. There's no resources for abusers. Yeah. That's a crazy way to look at it. I didn't even think about it like that. I mean, I'll tell them to go to their counselor um, and hopefully the counselor can provide them to the right type of therapy. But yeah, there really isn't any programs for them. What, uh, what advice would you give to someone, you know, maybe not be able to be too vocal about what they're going through, who may be going through similar, you know, events that happened to you? Um, so I've talked to a lot of survivors over the years and we all pretty much say the same thing that we wish we would have left sooner. I think, you know, people stay for a long time because they hope things will change, things will get better. 
Um, but again, this goes back to serious lifelong behaviors that somebody thinks is normal in a relationship and abuse just continues to get worse. And for me, when I look back at my whole experience, I think the most heartbreaking thing was me losing who I was. Like I lost my own identity. I didn't get involved in things. And it's almost like, remember who you were before this person was in your life, you know, and you deserve to be all you can be. And you know, the right person isn't going to hold you back. So were you able to revert back to that person once you kind of made progress or did you kind of have to reinvent yourself? I definitely reinvented myself because, you know, I think that for me, I um, was emotionally traumatized at such a young age that I don't think I ever really knew what my strengths or capacities were. Um, You know, even as a kid, I was still pretty shy. And then a lot of my trauma happened when I was, you know, 14. So I was I was a baby. Um, But yeah, so I think I reinvented myself. I found strength out of it. For sure. I mean, for me, it was a catalyst for like major change in my life and, and really discovering who I am. Yeah. Do you find that uh, they sometimes stay because they think maybe I can help them and maybe I can help fix this or, um, you know, if I stay, I can help them through it? Because I, I used to have a friend who was in a relationship like that and that's how they felt. Absolutely. I think we always want to think it's an isolated incident or they apologized they said they're working on things. Yeah. I mean, I know my ex would say he was sorry and say he's trying. And I really believe that he was trying, but yeah. he just couldn't control those impulses. And um, I think, you know, the problem is people don't realize that someone who's abusive is not abusive in the beginning. Right. Um, you fall in love with someone. They're awesome. They're everything you could possibly want in a partner. And then they change later. And a lot of times you keep thinking of who they were yeah, and you keep yeah, thinking, yeah. Oh, we're going to get back to that. Or, you know, he's They're just going through a like spell. This. Right. So that's why you think like, Oh, I can fix them. And then we'll get back to like the way they were when I first met them. So yeah, it's really hard. It's hard to accept that, you know, no, the person you're seeing now is actually who they really are. Yeah. It's um, tough. Yeah. yeah. It's a heavy subject. Yeah. For yeah. Sure, it is. But the way you handle it, it's very professional. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lots of practice. <laughs> yeah. um, so what, what uh, you know, we just shot an interview here with you. What are your future plans for the business? Yeah. So um, right now I'm just trying to constantly add to my speaking calendar. I do travel nationally um, and I'm, I'm looking to travel even more. Mm-hmm. So obviously I want to get into more schools. Um, I've launched a website, um, for survivors to share their stories. Um, and I launched it with a group of students, which is really cool. They're like my student advisory board. And surprisingly, there's no websites where survivors can share their stories. And when I speak, a lot of people will come up to me and say, you know, I want to do something to help others too. I don't want to get up on a stage and share my story, but how can I use my story? So that's actually what sparked the idea. So that's called blueheartsproject.com. Great place to read a story, share a story. You can share anonymously. I'm really excited about where that's going. I'm building up student ambassadors to promote it on campuses and and do readings. So I'm excited about that. And then just some other side projects. Um, I'm working on a book and I'm working on launching a podcast um, to address some of these issues even more. And it just is a whole bunch of ideas. Good for you. Mm-hmm. And we're going to make you a badass video. Yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. And that too. I'm yeah. so excited to work with you guys. Thank you. That's cool. Um, can you give us an example of maybe, uh, you don't have to name names or places mm-hmm. or anything of uh, someone who came up to you and, you know, kind of let you know how you impacted their life and how you changed their life through your story? Yeah. I Believe it or not, I get emails and messages weekly if not daily um, through Instagram through email Facebook because not only do I speak year-round but I'm on podcast sharing my story I post to social media about it and people are constantly opening up I think one of the ones that's really stood out to me um, I had spoken to a group of high school students about a year ago Um, A student told me that she had been sexually assaulted when she was younger by an older cousin and had never told anyone. And she ended up getting help. He's now being prosecuted and she's in therapy. And she says she never would have, you know, opened up if it wasn't for feeling like, you know, I gave her the strength to do it. So, I mean, that's huge because not only is she getting help, but now this guy's getting held accountable. So. 
So yeah, but I mean, I get stories like that a lot. I mean, sometimes it's a woman who's been married for 25 years and she just heard my story somewhere and suddenly realized that she's a victim of domestic violence. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's heartbreaking, but it's eye-opening just how many people are impacted. That must feel crazy just getting that story and people, you know, saying like, thank you or like, you know, you helped me. Like, I can't imagine what that feels like. It's crazy. I mean, I... I always say, you know, my story is nothing unique. It's the story of millions of people every day at this very minute. And yeah. I'm just helping other people share theirs. And hopefully it's just a, a momentum that keeps growing where they now feel like they can speak up to someone and it just keeps growing from here. Any last words for everybody? Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, it's it's been great chatting yeah. with you guys. This has cool. been a really great conversation, cool. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm always available if anybody wants to reach out. Yeah, um, yeah tell know. everyone how they can find yeah. you. Yeah, share your social media and website. Yeah, so um, I'm on all the social medias at <laughs> Ashley Bendixson, and my website is ashleybendixson.com. Um, or if you can't remember that, blueheartsproject.com. You can find me through there too. And being that I am a Rhode Island uh, resident, um, it's much easier for me to speak to schools locally. So That's I hope right. that, you know, if anyone out there, um, they don't have to work in the school. I mean, they could be a parent with a kid at a yeah, school that yeah. feels like I should speak to their kid's school. Um, you know, just drop me a note or drop the school a note. And I'd love to really make an impact right here in the Ocean State as much as I can, too. Awesome. The Blue Heart Project, was that through Salve? Is that where you started it? Um, no, I just launched that like last week. Oh, <laughs> yeah, really? It's brand new. Wow, and nice. We've collected over... 90 stories from survivors from across the globe wow. like just got one from new zealand yesterday so it's survivors of domestic violence sexual assault and child abuse um, and i did this with a group of students and they're now the mouthpiece for it and they're promoting it you know on their campuses and in their communities and i'm promoting it and yeah i'm excited to see where that goes yeah, what that's a great, great cause yeah that's yeah, awesome thanks <laughs> last name b-e-n-d-i-k-s-e-n Good job. Yeah. Wow. I was hoping you'd spell it right. <laughs> Don't get this wrong. Yeah. I got it. Yep. Um, great. Well, uh, that's it for today's episode, guys. Um, hope you all enjoyed this one or got some value out of it. Um, go follow Ashley on all the social medias. Uh, <laughs> check out on LinkedIn, Instagram. Um, check us out on Instagram at Up in Your Biz Pod. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. Um, share it on your social. Pass it on to a friend. Um, and other than that, we will uh, see you next week. <laughs>